Uh, here we go. We are live, Doug, <laughs> and welcome back to the Yes Functional Longevity Podcast, where we give you insight on how to get fit, feel younger, and live better all together, all to one. My name is Chris Borda, best-selling author and owner of Yes Fitness, and I first would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to what I have to say today. I think it's a super important topic, and being an exercise guy, it's one that I'm going to battle for. So what little housekeeping we have is um, if you want to show notes of this broadcast, head over to yesfitnessct.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and you'll see podcast. Click on that button and go to whichever one you're looking for. We got 215 now. Click on the one that you want. Those notes are right there. If you want a transcript, let us know and we will get you a transcript. And you also can listen to this broadcast on Spotify. I'm not sure the other platforms, but I do know Spotify. So. Anybody who knows me knows that technology isn't my thing. I know we send it to some place, it goes to other places, but I know Spotify is one of them. So here we go. Today's topic. Where does exercise actually rank in the importance of improving health span? Being an exercise guy, you know where I think it's going to rank, but I'm going to try to make a case for where it is and where the other behaviors rank. So this sort of five modifiable behaviors to improving your health span and your longevity. And we really want to key here is we don't just want to improve longevity. I'm going to specify this in the beginning. Yes, we would like to live longer, but we also want to be able to improve our health span. What that means is we want to improve the amount of years we go disease-free, the amount of years that we are able to function and enjoy life doing the things we like to do. So we want to be able to go along, enjoying life, and then right at the end, drop off the cliff quickly. We don't want that long, slow decline of health and abilities and function that most people think that that's the way it needs to be. So those behaviors are exercise, sleep, nutrition, emotional health, meaning stress, how do we handle stress and depression and things like that, and medication and drugs. So really, those are the things that we can we can manipulate to improve our lifespan, our health span. And really, really the first four are the ones that we kind of are going to talk about today. We're going to talk about drugs and medication or anything like that. Let's talk about the things that you could do right this day, today. Exercise, sleep, nutrition, and our emotional health. So exercise's ability to extend life and reduce all course cause mortality is it's well documented, especially with health span. And that documentation just blows away the other things. What exercise can do for us really blows away with sleep, nutrition, drugs really, even right now, and our emotional health. So if you know I'm passionate, you know me, you know I'm passionate about longevity, and I'm the exercise guy. So I believe it is the most important thing you can do to impact health span and longevity. And I hope today that I can prove my point. 
One of the biggest issues with exercise is that it is probably the most challenging behavior to change. Nutrition is difficult. Nutrition is very difficult because most of the time when we're dealing with people over 40, 50, 60, they've been eating the same way for a long, long time. So nutrition can be difficult. But I think exercise is more difficult than that because of the time commitment. Because it takes some time, okay? Nutrition takes some time with planning, but I think exercise takes a little bit more time. So here's just a few reasons why exercise is so powerful. And I'm going to go through the four things and, and map out, you know, a little bit of why each one is um, a contributing factor or behavior to health span and longevity. But I'm going to really focus on why exercise, I think, is the most important one. So we know that it can tr contribute to the risk factors that it contributes to, okay, the reduction in the risk, risk factors, cardiovascular disease and, disease and all cause mortality is influenced by exercise. So what are we talking about there? We're talking about blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol. It helps the autonomic nervous system. So I know there's a buzzword out there and we talk about and we hear about now is heart rate variability and stress. So it's just a few of the things that exercise can, can help take care of. It can help take care of or keep help, help us maintain a healthy weight. Um, so those are just a few of those things, right? We know the list can go on and on. I'm not going to go too long with it because if you listen to this, you've, you've heard it many times. But there's observational studies that suggest that exercise has a statistically significant preventive effect on premature all-cause mortality with active individuals showing up to 72% lower risk of premature mortality from all causes compared within active individuals. That is a huge number. Let me just say that again. It's 72% lower risk of premature mortality from all causes compared with inactive individuals. Right there, you should want to say, you know what? I need to do some kind of activity. I'm going to reduce all cause, all cause mortality. That is going to be a tongue twister for me all day long. With regards to nutrition, re the reduction of all cause mortality is very small and is very inconsistent. So it's almost impossible to assign a mortality benefit or an addition to almost anything you eat, whether it's candy or kale or spinach or beef, whatever it might be, the hazard ratio is trivial. It's small. And those things changing all the time, those ratios, those hazard ratios are changing all the time. So just to give you an example, a recent meta-analysis, so meta-analysis takes a look at all a bunch of studies and combines all that data into one, showed that high adherence to diet quality indexes, such as healthy eating indexes and dietary approaches to stop hypertension, were associated with a 22% decrease in the risk of all-cause mortality. Now, 22% decrease is great. I'm not telling you not to eat well. I'm just telling you that exercise can be as much as 72%. 72%, 22%. Which one is better, okay? And, and we, they've been studying this for a long time. There's a very famous natural experiment in the, called the London Bus Drivers, 
where it was conducted by Jeremy Morris. And what Morris did was he was a British epidemiologist and he compared the heart attack rates among double Dutch bus drivers and their conductors in London in the 1940s. So he took a look at the bus driver and the conductors. The bus driver sitting on his butt all day and the conductor up and down, going up and down the stairs all day. So in 1949, he began tracing and tracking the heart attack rates of hundreds of drivers and conductors. The drivers sat for 90% of their shift, right? The conductors climbed up about 600 stairs each day. Morris's data, which was published in 1953, indicated that the conductors had fewer than half the heart attacks of the sedentary colleagues. Fewer than half. You wanted to be the conductor. And in a follow-up study, Dr. Morris found that lower incidences of heart attack among people doing physical work was not for the most part, related to other factors like body type. So what we're saying here is we're comparing apples to apples. So the guy was sitting behind the wheel 90% of the time and the guy going up and down the stairs 600 times a day, their outside lifestyles are pretty much the same. Their body types were kind of the same. Like there was no more like the, the, the drivers didn't all smoke and the – Conductors, none of them smoked. They were all about the same size and their body types were the same. There was a 50% reduction in all-cause mortality. And it is incredibly consistent in multiple studies. Study after study, we see this. So unlike nutritional epidemiology, where the risk increases and the risk reduction are very, very small, they aren't very consistent. Although there are some times where things are consistent, okay, in consistently small amounts. So, for example, like a vegan or a vegetarian. Vegans or vegetarians consistently have a small reduction in mortality. So I want to say small reduction in mortality. Why is this? We're saying that nutrition has a little bit of effect, okay? Vegans or vegetarian diets is very restrictive. So we can assume that they're very health conscious, okay? And they're probably doing some other things in their life that is helping their health other than just their nutrition. Can we say that it's just the nutrition? I think we can say that some of it is because of nutrition, but it's only a small, like this, the, they're only living a little bit longer. And they're making conscious health decisions other than just the food that they eat typically. So where is it coming from? Is it coming from the food or is it coming from the fact that they probably they might exercise or maybe they sleep more, maybe they de-stress more? So what makes the bus driving study so good is that the bus drivers, okay, you have to assume that the driver's making the same poor choices or good choices as a conductor. It doesn't matter. So there's a case for exercise over nutrition. Let's take a look at sleep. How much sleep do you need for a long life? Well, the research suggests that adults live longer if they get six or seven hours of sleep a night rather than the accepted standard of eight hours. 
So you can get it a little bit six or seven hours, okay? And the research is based on a nationwide survey of 1.1 million adults. And sleeping less than six hours a night spells trouble. Spells troubles for individuals with increased heart risk. So based on the recent studies linking a short sleep duration to increased risk of death. And too much sleep isn't good for you as well. So we're already talking about this. It does help, okay? It does help with longevity. Because if you don't sleep enough, it's going to be an increased risk. So we know that getting enough sleep, um, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to get sick, okay? But sleep will help you keep a healthy weight. It lowers your risk for health problems such as diabetes and heart disease. It can reduce stress and improve your mood. It'll help you think more clearly. It'll help you do better at school and at work. And it's going to help you get along with people because you're not going to be crabby. There's no real number that I could find that gave us a percentage of how much more an increase, the reduction of all-cause mortality. But it, there's a little reduction there, okay? So when we take a look at our emotional health, okay? Emotional health. How does emotional health, okay? How does our mental health affect longevity? So this is a serious thing. Serious mental illness reduced life expectancy by 10 to 20 years. That was done by an analysis of Oxford University, 10 to 20 years. The loss of those years, that's equivalent or worse than heavy smoking. So that is truly something that's that we can change. That could be life-changing, okay? And we've seen so much more of the mental illness and the people, the coping skills that people have since, since COVID, right? I just heard the other, yesterday, maybe even this morning on the news, where kids are allowed to take mental health days in school now. They, I think it's a couple of times a year, three, three times a year, as long as they're not back-to-back. -back, they can say, hey, I need a mental health day, and they're allowed to just stay home as long as they have their parents' um, permission. So that's how serious this is. But luckily, a healthy mind can actually keep you healthy longer. In fact, individuals who practice positive thinking We've talked about positive thinking many times. Experience an average lifespan of 8 to 13 years longer. 8 to 13 years. The WHO, the World Health Organization, defines signs of good health, good mental health as the following. The ability to manage normal stresses of life. So what percentage of death is caused by mental health? Well, we estimate about 14.3% of deaths worldwide. It's approximately 8 million deaths each year are attributed to mental disorders. So, yes, by addressing these other behaviors, you're going to improve your chances to live longer. We can just see it right there with, by thinking positive. 8 to 13 years, okay, positive thinking. And we know by getting more sleep, we're going to be able to live longer. If we're getting the right amount of sleep. We, you know, if we eat a little bit better, we're going to be able to. But exercise is really the one. If you would have taken, this is why, Okay. Again, we don't want to just live longer. We want to improve health span. We want to be able to enjoy ourselves to the end and then go all at once. So if you were to take a look at the last decade of your life, to whatever that may be, what is it you want to be able to do in that last decade? What are the daily activities and other activities that you want to do? I'm not going to say athletic but fun, like maybe hiking, fishing, golfing, playing pickleball, whatever it might be. Maybe you want to be able to walk three miles an hour. Maybe you want to be able to get up and down off the floor, 
okay? Maybe you want to be able to carry groceries. So you want to think about, okay, what is it that we want to be able to do in that last decade? For the purpose of this discussion, let's say from our 80s to our 90s. So we're able to do all these things. We're living longer. But what is it the one thing that's going to help us be able to do all these things as we get into that last day? So it's cool. You can do it now, okay? You can do those different things, the different behaviors about sleep and nutrition and our mental health, okay? But if you don't change those behaviors now, it's going to affect it down the road. And if you don't change exercise now, it's going to affect it even more down the road, okay? What I don't think people realize is they say, okay, you know what? I'm 40 or I'm 50. I can do all those things right now. And they don't see it, okay? But does take a look at our parents and our grandparents. What kind of shape are they in? Are they able to do those things? People don't realize the decline in exercise can offset all those things. It can offset the decline. It can offset the decline more than sleep, nutrition, medications, and emotional health. That's the key. Exercise and strength training. That's why it's the most important thing to me. And hopefully it is to you. That's what I want to be able to do as I age. I want to be able to live. And we know that the start, the decline starts at 30. But we can see now that with proper training, it can, we can push that decline from 30 to age 40. And we just notice it with today's athletes in their early 40s. You know, the guys are playing tennis and Serena William and Tom Brady and, and LeBron James. Like these guys are getting older and they're still excelling. They've been able to push off that decline into their 40s. That's only going to help them as they age if they continue to exercise. So what we see is in the mid-70s, okay, about 75 years old, that there's a real change. That there's a change in a little bit less cardiopulmonary limitation, the kind of cardiopulmonary limitations that we see because of VO2 max. And, hey, when you go up and down stairs, you can tell. You got a breath more than you were a decade ago or two decades ago. What we really see is the limitation in skeletal muscle strength and the frailty in the muscle mass. So it, it happens in this in your seven at eight rounds, age 75. And what is just a crazy stat is 70% of 70-year-olds can't get off the floor, period. Not with one hand, not with two hands, not anyway. They just can't get off the floor. So people, 70% of the people in their 70s can't get off the floor. Never mind walk three miles an hour, go up and down the stairs with groceries, go play pick a ball, go for a hike, ride a bike, whatever it might be. They can't even get up and down off the floor. Why is this? Well, the studies show that muscle mass changes and strength changes around age 75. Now, what's causing this? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Are we losing muscle mass because we're not moving anymore, because we're not exercising, we're not active? Or are we less active because we've lost muscle mass? What is it? Whatever it might be, it could be both, okay? It probably is a little of both. 
But I think that if you're exercising, you're maintaining your strength training, you're maintaining your muscle mass, you're more likely going to be able to maintain your activity and your strength. At age 75, it just goes along and hits 75, and there's a cliff. I couldn't find a graph on it to show you. But tell me, I'm telling you right now, you wouldn't believe it, how, how steep a decline it is around age 75. And that's, at that point in time, physical activity just drops off tremendously. That is why exercise, I believe, is number one. The others will help you live longer, and exercise will help you live longer. But with proper exercise, and you need to exercise hard a few days a week. You need to you need to progressively overload. I talk about it all the time. You need to work hard sometimes, okay, to maintain your level of fitness, to maintain your muscle mass, to maintain your strength. So with a proper program, when you get to 75, you're going to be able to, be able to come down off the ground. You're going to be able to do some of the things that you want to be able to do. You need to sit here today and say, well, what do I want my life to look like? I'm doing these things. You know, I'm, I'm eating my blueberries, okay? I'm trying to get enough sleep. I have a bubble bath to de-stress, so maybe I'm going to live longer. But what's it going to look like when I live longer? Am I going to be able to do anything or am I going to be relegated to a chair or a walker or have no energy or strength to be able to go up and down stairs? I think one of the biggest failures is I hear so many people say, well, you know, I'm going to retire and I'm going to live on one floor. I don't want to have to go up and down stairs anymore. And I say, as soon as you stop going up and down stairs, you're not going to be able to go up and down stairs. As soon as you stop carrying the laundry up and down stairs, you're not going to be able to go up and down stairs. And I understand how important falls are because when we take a look at the mortality of 65-year-olds, okay, 65-year-olds and up who suffer a fall that results in a fracture in any part of the hip of the femur, femur being the thigh bone, okay, the big thigh bone, at one year, okay, depending on whatever study you're looking at, as low as 25% and as high as 60%. Die. Yeah, 25 to 60% of people die. It's somewhere around 40, 50%. So what does that mean? That means if you take all the 65-year-olds and you look at those who fall, and in those falls, if they result in a broken hip or broken femur, only half of those people will be alive 12 months later. Is that a scary thought or what? And the other half are going to return to the people that they were. So, yeah, I'm telling you to walk up and down the stairs with with um, with laundry in your hand. If you're exercising and you're maintaining your strength, you're going to maintain your balance. You're going to maintain your fall prevention. You're going to be able to do that. And you're not going to be one of those 65, half of those 65-year-olds or 70-year-olds that break a hip or femur. And it, God forbid you were able and you did break a hip or femur. You're going to be strong enough to overcome it. You're going to be that small percentage of people that can get back to the way they were. Just another example why strength training, <coughs> excuse me, why exercise, specifically strength training, is so important. So just to recap real quickly here for you, okay? Yes, there are modifiable factors in life that you can do 
to improve the likelihood of you living longer. Those being sleep, nutrition, emotional health, some medications and drugs, especially some things that are coming up now, rapamycin and things like that, and exercise. But if you really take a look at it, the number one thing, the thing that gives you the biggest bang for your buck, the biggest bang for your buck, exercise is the one. And I hope I've made a case for that. And I hope that will inspire someone, one person, even if it inspires one person, to get up and start moving because it is a key. As always, if you have any questions or you want me to give you any kind of help with this, reach out, email me, leave a message here in the comments, let me know. And I'd be happy to give you a hand with it because um, it's one of my missions in life is to help as many people as I possibly can to improve their health span. So I want to thank you one more time for listening to what I have to say. I hope it was helpful. And you can look for me again next Tuesday at this same time where I'll give you more insight on how to get fit, feel younger, and live better. Thank watching and have a great evening.